Today's episode is sponsored by Stitch Fix. Their new maternity stylus will help you build your pregnancy and postpartum wardrobe each step of the way. It's easy. You simply create your style profile, request a fix whenever and however often you choose, and the best part, your stylist chooses a wardrobe selection that shows up on your doorstep and you keep only what you love. Head over to motherbirth.co slash stitchfix to learn more, sign up, and even support the podcast at no extra cost to you. The postpartum doula is simply a doula for after you have birth. Um, it's nothing to do with your mental state. What a postpartum doula is there to do is to increase your parental confidence and work herself out of a job. Welcome to Mother Birth. We help women awaken the confidence that is already within. This is a space for vivid, inspiring birth stories meaningful advice from guest experts, and honest exploration of what it means to become a mother. Hey everyone, welcome to Mother Birth Today. Laura and I are interviewing a guest who is going to share her story with us of her postpartum transitions and the work that that has led her to today and her passion for postpartum planning and support in all different kinds of realms. So would you introduce yourself, Kate? Tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. I am Kate Terza. I am a mom of three kids that are now soon to be eight, which is scary to think about. Um, Six and a half and almost four. My first and third were born on the same day, completely spontaneously, which is kind of a fun little fact. (laughs) Um, And I... I navigated trying postpartums with all of them. Um, My third kind of um, pushed me over the edge. And I live in a fairly rural area, despite what um, outsiders may think. I live on the east end of Long Island, which if you watch any reality TV, you would think it's pretty pretty awesome mm-hmm. to live here, but it's also very, very rural. And so I had a hard time finding support where I when I needed it. Interesting. And, um, I think a lot, I know now a lot of women where I live feel the same way, but I, so I went through my third postpartum experience and was helping my best friend navigate hers. She lives in a completely, she lives in Denver. So a very urban, completely different area. Mm-hmm. And she was talking about all this great support she had with her first that she was navigating. And I was completely at a loss and couldn't, I mean, I would Google, you know, lactation consultant near me and it would be like, you know, in New York city. Right. And mm. which for me is an hour and a half away. And when you have a newborn, yeah. that's, that's not going to happen. Yeah. So, um, then I learned what a postpartum doula was and I went through my training. I am now certified as a postpartum doula and I've been doing it since, um, my youngest was about three months old is when I started the training. Hmm. So I've been doing it for about three and a half years. It's a side hustle for me, but I do a lot of work um, in the community through, I'm also on the board of a nonprofit East End Birth Network, and we run a monthly birth circle here locally. And um, so I do a lot of work through the families that I meet through that. Hmm. So that's kind of where I actually do a lot of my postpartum doula work um, because it's it's so needed. And that support, like we have a monthly meeting a birth circle and moms just come and we talk and. Hmm. So you're really meeting a need that was missing 
in your community. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, um, also where I live, the, the idea of a postpartum doula is very, very new. The idea of a doula is very new. Not many moms, especially when I had my first eight years ago, did, Mm -hmm. I didn't know one mom who Mm -hmm. had a doula birth doula, let alone a postpartum doula. So it's something that, um, not a lot of people know, at least where I am, what it is and the benefits of having a postpartum doula. And, um, and I'm hoping to change that. And so for, for now I'm helping where I can and kind of filling the need that I still feel is lacking where I am. Mm-hmm. I think that's so great. And I feel like, you know, would you say your um, youngest was three months uh, when yeah. you started that journey? I think that's really inspiring, especially because it was not necessarily coming from having an amazing postpartum doula, but actually the lack of that in your community. Yeah. I was frustrated. Um, yeah, that I, I I couldn't find the support that I needed. So what specifically about your third was was extra challenging? You mentioned that it was the third one that kind of pushed you over the edge. And I, I know in reading a little bit about your story that, you know, you felt like by the third one, gosh, I should have this figured out. You know, I should have it together. What What was different about that particular postpartum period that made it more challenging? Um, well, I suffer from general anxiety. I've been diagnosed since I was in college and I've been kind of battling with that since. And each postpartum, it got significantly worse, Mm -hmm. um, at the initial postpartum period. And then I was able to work myself out of it. Um, with all three of my kids are born within four years of each other. So they're very close in age, Mm -hmm. um, in the grand scheme of things. So when my third came, uh, we, we quote unquote waited with our third, my old, my second was two and a half when she was born which is much different than my first two were only a year and a half apart. But, um, so we had, I felt like I had had, I I felt like we were in a really good groove as a family. I had gone through two, two postpartums. I breastfed to an extent with both of them. I didn't breastfeed for extended periods of time with either one of them because I lacked the support. I didn't, I didn't have anywhere to turn. I didn't, you know, anything that I was finding was online. And eight years ago there there was minimal, yeah, totally. um, the support online wasn't really that great. So I, with my third, I had a great birth. At least I thought I, in the moment I had a great birth and I was, I had set a goal for myself to breastfeed for the, her exclusively breastfeed for six months with her. And my first one, first two, I did it exclusively for three months. And then once I went back to work, it kind of petered off. Mm-hmm. So I had set a goal for myself that I was going to breastfeed exclusively for six months. And I had, at that point, I had more friends that are breastfed. And so I kind of felt like I knew what to expect and was willing to put in the time. And we knew that she was going to be our last baby. So I was kind of like, okay, I'm going to just go all in. Like, I'm just going to do this. Mm. And I set this goal for myself and I wasn't able to meet it as I originally envisioned. I ended up having uh, a retained placenta and I wasn't diagnosed till six weeks at my six weeks postpartum. Mm. I delivered with an OB and I had a vaginal delivery. So I didn't have a postpartum check until six weeks, which obviously now is changing um, now thanks to ACOG. But Mm. at the time, four years ago, that was the routine. So I didn't go back to my OB until six weeks later. And I never past any clots. So there was no reason for me to be concerned. I was, I was still bleeding at that point. Um, but there was no clot, you know, that you get the discharge papers and if it 
clots. If you have any clots or it smells, those are like when you're supposed to call yeah. and see your professional. And I didn't have any of those. And I was, so I was diagnosed with retained placenta at my six week postpartum. And we had been having some issues with my daughter gaining weight. And at her first, she didn't get up to her birth weight until she was a month old, mm. which, which is my scary as a parent. Yeah. Yeah, it's scary, but I it was my third one, and I was like, whatever, she's fine. She's just little. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that's what I just kept mm-hmm. telling myself. Um, and my pediatrician, we would go every week, and she was gaining, so she was okay with us continuing to just breastfeed. But I was on a two week. Um, at two weeks, I was on the you know every two hours, twenty four hours a day, I was waking her and feeding her. So I was continued that for from two weeks until I made an LC appointment at, um, it was right after my six week postpartum, um, checkup where I got the diagnosis of the retained placenta. I was finally able to get an appointment with the LC and, um, in case you didn't know, which I didn't know at the time when you have a retained placenta, you don't have full milk production. Right. Cause you're, yeah, the hormones don't, don't right. kick in the way they're supposed to. Yeah. Right. And at the time that was completely devastating to me, the fact that I wasn't going to be able to exclusively breastfeed my baby. And it really brought me down to a level that I, I can't even express how horrible I I felt guilty because I didn't notice something about my body earlier. Um, I felt guilty that my daughter potentially wasn't getting the nutrition that she should. There were a lot of, there's a lot of guilt going on. And then that just exacerbated the my anxiety and just the postpartum experience for me. Mm. So it was, it was very hard. And, um, and then didn't, besides the LC appointment, Mm -hmm. I didn't really have anywhere. I didn't have a support group. I could, I felt very lonely. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of where, what kicked off the journey because I just felt so lonely and I was it was my third, I, you're supposed to know better in my head. I was supposed to know better, obviously. Right. I know now that's just silly. Um, but yeah, so that, that was my, what kicked off my journey. Hmm. And I know that it's to some women that may not, it's hard when you have a goal in mind Mm -hmm. and can't meet that goal. And it has to do in some way with your mothering or mm-hmm. what you perceive to have something to do with your mothering. Yeah. And for me, it just really took me down to a really deep, deep, bad place. Well, yeah, we always talk about just the stakes feel so high. Yeah. Yeah. And it's such mm-hmm. an identity thing. You know, there's, I don't know if there's anything else that feels so essential. And, and by that, I mean, like, you know, your essence, like, you know, if you are, if you are succeeding or failing, I'm using those terms very, very, um, loosely, you know, or, or if, if by our perception, if we're succeeding or failing at mothering, then we are like failing at our core or succeeding at our core. And it's not, it's not like, you know, I mean, I think we, our identities get wrapped up in a lot of things. Our identities get wrapped up in our career and in our, our partnerships and, you know, in our social status and all of these things. But I think on some rational level, we're able, we're able to, to distinguish or, or, um, 
separate ourselves from those identities, at least at certain points, we're able to do that. And I think it's really difficult to do that with, with our mothering identity. Um, it's just so, it's so primal and so like essential. It's something that is just really a, a really challenging thing to navigate. And I wonder for you, when you, like, did you have social support? Did you have friends who had children? Did you have, you know, a mother or a mother-in-law who was, you know, there to help you? Did you have a partner who was supportive? What did your social structure look like? Um, I have a very supportive partner, um, but unfortunately he, he, we both work in small, small businesses. And so he wasn't able to take it to, he's runs it. So he wasn't able to take much in terms of a paternity Mm -hmm. leave. And, um, I was actually at five weeks, I had, I still have a great job, um, in another small business and I'm able to take my babies to work with me. What do you do? So yes, I am an office manager for a landscaping company. That's like, that's my quote unquote day Mm -hmm. job. (laughs) And, um, and so I was able to actually at five weeks with, my last two babies, I was able, I returned to work on a very limited schedule, but um, my babies were able to come with me. So at that point, the time that I had gotten the diagnosis and kind of found out that I wasn't able to meet my breastfeeding goals, I was already committed to being back to work. And in some, you know how that goes, if you can't live up to a commitment, then you feel at some you're failing and there's just so many failures I could take. So that was a, you know, that was a commitment of mine. My kids were in daycare, but they weren't in daycare any more than I was working. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had very, very limited support in terms of being able to um, do much without my other kids yeah, around. in terms of like taking time for yourself or going to yeah. see a lactation. Like, you know, it's if, you, right. if you're, if the entire amount of time that you have that can be allotted to things is, is spoken for, like, I think it's, you know, I've certainly been in that place. And I know so many people where it's like, okay, well, here are all the things that you could or should do to support yourself. But like, who has, you know, so few of us have the time to actually do those yeah. things. I remember the lactation consultant saying to me, cause she's actually um, lives in my town and I didn't know it at the time. I was, you know, being a neighbor that she was the lactation consultant I would end up seeing. But so she knew I have two, two other young children. And I remember her saying, do you have someone that can help you with the kids? And I lived, I literally laughed. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is, if I had asked, I'm sure I could have found someone or people, different people to help out. But, um, I didn't, I didn't. And I felt that also added to it, feeling very overwhelmed and and alone in that aspect Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah. Yeah. I I really feel like a lot of people relate to what you're saying because I, and I think that it's the language about the the self-commitments or the goals, I guess goals is a good word too. And just feeling like those aren't just, I mean, specifically the breastfeeding goal was difficult, but you have all these other functional goals as well. And I think that's something that, you know, listening to women, you hear 
also is once you have had an integrated motherhood experience, you've made the transition with the baby. And then even if you've made the transition again, almost like you're saying, another expectation you're adding is for there to be some similarity of experience. Mm -hmm. Even if you coach yourself and talk to yourself and have the mantra of like, every baby's different, every, you know, because they tell you, you know, hopefully your provider is like, every baby's different, every breastfeeding experience is different, every pregnancy is different. And you know that, but really just like anything else you would take on in life, you're like, okay, we're going to have a third. And I, I know it's like, you know, I know it's like to have feeding difficulties. Okay. I get that. And you kind of file that under like, I'll do what I did last time. Or, you know, even though, you know, yeah. and so I think that that can actually, like you said, it kind of sets up a cliff for people because it's almost, I don't like comparing, but I feel like when I hear from women about that, when they have an experience that varies, it's really difficult to reconcile on the list of all the things that you said, you know, maybe you said, this is going to go 100% well, this is going to be hard. And then this other thing is impossible. Mm. If any of those kind of switch categories, I think that that's really, really difficult to shift um, your acceptance of it and integration of it. But also, especially if you do suffer from anxiety or depression, it can really, I don't know, really kind of change the way you approach the day-to-day things if one of those core things is shifted or recategorized. Totally. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think too, like our brains are constantly doing this math of both comparing to our previous experiences, but also just putting things together. And, you know, it's so common for us to hear women say like, oh, I had a really healthy, positive pregnancy. So I expected my postpartum period to be, you know, to feel the same, like for my emotional state to be the same that it was during pregnancy. Or like you said, you had a great birth with that baby. So, you know, in your head, you know, your mind's doing this math saying like, okay, well, this and this should add up to this. Like I had a great birth. Plus I've, you know, done this twice before. I'm sure this postpartum period will be, you know, not a walk in the park, but, but manageable. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's all these factors that you just had no idea about. And yeah, I think that we're just, we're talking about humans. We're talking about bodies. We're talking about, you know, these really, really multidimensional, very dynamic experiences that we just have, we have no ability to, to actually be prepared for. And I think that's one of the things in, you know, in the work that we do and in talking with women that it's, it's really hard to find that balance between, yes, we want to encourage and empower women to prepare for, for pregnancy, for birth, for th- for their postpartum transitions, and yet that very preparation can backfire in the sense that then people feel very very tied to and very um, like they have expectations now because of those preparations, and it can it can look very very different than we prepare for, you know. Yeah, and I think I mean that has continued throughout my mothering. I mean, it I feel that way a lot about just because I have, you know, I have these three kids and obviously the oldest is going through some, is always the first to go through Mm -hmm. the phase, (laughs) but then I have two more that continue and it changes. And it's taken me a long time to not compare Mm -hmm. the different experiences and the different paths that each of my children have taken through different various phases. And, um, I think in my, that particular, my postpartum journey, I think that the breastfeeding, not being able to meet my, what I perceived as my goal, just like tipped the scales for me. Like it just like, I was just like barely level. And then that one thing went on the wrong side and Mm -hmm. it just like my whole 
my whole self just went right Mm -hmm. out of whack. So what did finding equilibrium look like for you? You know, I know that you started doing the postpartum doula training around three months. Did that coincide with you finding, you know, a little more, a little more balance or did it come after that? My balance came around the same time. Um, I think partly it was that um, something that I think that I'm quite good at is I'm I'm a fairly good compartmentalizer because of my anxiety. I'm able to, at a certain point, be able to turn things off and put them in a box mm. and not think about it. And that's pretty much what I was uh, what I did in order to survive. Um, was I put the breastfeeding and I was still, I still had a great breastfeeding relationship. I had a great nursing relationship. I just had to supplement and it wasn't the end of the world. And she breastfed till she was 10 months old when she self-weaned. So like when I look back, it's great. And if anybody else explained their experience to me, I would, I would congratulate them on how Mm. great they did. But I think going through the training and realizing, doing all the reading and um, everything that went along with the training, I realized that there is supposed to be so much more support for moms. And it kind of was like a light for me that turned on that it's like, I I understood why I was having Mm. such a struggle right? because I didn't have this support that, you know, this training is telling me that all the, that you're supposed to have, that is a given to new moms or should be a given to moms. And I didn't have it. So it was just, it made me feel so much better that, oh, like this is, could be a a very good reason why I am having such a hard time dealing with this. Oh, I don't have this, Mm -hmm. this, and this, this kind of support. So it definitely was helpful. And then obviously I set out to create the support and I, um, and I put myself out there and that has helped a Mm -hmm. lot. Yeah. You do have to put yourself out there, especially in the setting that you're in. You know, you don't just have like three mommy and baby groups to choose from. Right. I started my own. (laughs) That's putting yourself out there. Um, Yeah. Um, I, you know, I've done a, a bunch of things in the last three and a half years to kind of see where moms are able to meet me. And, um, yeah, and just kind of have been growing and trying to figure out the best way to serve the community so that hopefully, I know I can't prevent it all, but hopefully some, they know where to turn Mm -hmm. if they ever need help. What do you think the biggest thing as you've worked with women in that community that have not had access to resources like this before and, you know, maybe find that support for the first time in you, what are you, what are you noticing in, in their experiences of motherhood and then how they share those experiences with, with others, sort of that ripple effect, if, if, if I can put it that way. I think that, um, moms are opening up more about the honesty being honest and vulnerable. I think that we generally, I know now social media is kind of turning more towards people are being a little more honest on social media, but, um, I think all new moms, including me spend way too much time on so scrolling on social media and you're looking at beautiful pictures and beautiful stories when you're not having a good moment 
-hmm. And that can also be really hard. And I think that in interacting with me and that they, they can recognize that we don't all have it put together. Like I am pretty open about how even now I'm still, still have my struggles and I'm still willing to talk about them when I'm, when I'm ready. I don't always talk about them right away, Mm -hmm. but when I'm ready to talk about them, I'm willing to share them with my community. And I, I know that that has helped other moms at least be able to recognize in themselves that they're heard. They may not be able to verbalize yet, um, but they know that someone else has either been there or had similar Mm -hmm. feelings that they've had. Mm -hmm. And how do you get people who don't think they need this kind of support to believe that they do? That's a good question. And I don't know the answer to that yet. Um, (laughs) I don't know. I think most people that find out about me that are, that wish they had had me or felt like they needed me. It's after the fact. It's after they've been through this, this, their transition and they were like, well, where were you? I'm like, well, I was right here. You just didn't know. (laughs) Right. But I do think that that is, you know, for better, for worse, it's a lot of the options that are out there for women that I think they find out after either their first child. And for some people, you know, after all their children, I mean, we joke mm-hmm. about like, obviously we think a lot of people who listen to this um, podcast have, are early in their motherhood journey, but some are not. Some of them have completed their motherhood journey. And even my mom is like, I can't even believe, like, I can't even believe the things that are right. out there now versus, you know, when she had kids or even, you know, my sister had kids eight years ago. And, you know, th- these kinds of things where you realize there is so much, there's so much that's developing. And I think it's from the things that you're saying. I think it's from more honest conversations. I think it's also just inviting people into motherhood that aren't your intrinsic family. So, you know, we Mm -hmm. talk a lot about that used to be the thing is that you parented as a community. And so it looked different. It didn't look like mommy groups. It didn't look like, you know, meetups or websites, obviously, or even necessarily books. It really just looked like Tuesday, you know, (laughs) like, and Tuesday today where we like, you know, right. And grandma watches the kids after school and, you know, yeah, there's, there, there's a lot of those rhythms, those communal rhythms were a lot of those communal rhythms built in that would have just maybe been taken for granted. How do you feel now like that you try to reach women that may not, you know, like, how do you kind of go about trying to find those women before it's after their experience? Um, I try to talk, I talk to women while they're pregnant and, um, at our monthly birth circles, I'll, we kind of try and talk to women while they're pregnant. And I, that's kind of where I try and I try and get my in, but honestly, especially first time pregnant mom, the idea of the postpartum postpartum being difficult yeah. is a harsh reality. Mm-hmm. Most of the clients that I end up getting are already in their postpartum or second time arounders Mm -hmm. because they know what it was like or they're in it and they're having a really hard time managing and they hear about it. And do you feel like that's very breastfeeding centric? Um, I think that, um, yeah, I think it's a breastfeeding. I think there's two things, breastfeeding (laughs) and sleeping. Totally. (laughs) I I think that a lot of moms 
struggle with the sleep deprivation as as expected, mm-hmm. but I don't think anybody until you are in it can even yeah. fathom what it's actually. It's one of those right? cultural things that to some extent has you know, maybe it's always been there. I think it's maybe amplified now, but when you've been there, like, I feel like even as a person that is committed to, you know, honest, vulnerable expression of my motherhood journey, like, you know, being open with others about, you know, what may be coming their way, certainly, you know, now with the work that I do, like those conversations are, are fairly typical for me, but at the same time, like, you know, when you're a mom and and there's a new mom that's pregnant for the first time, like you don't want to scare her. You don't want to come across as like a, you know, <laughs> like you don't want to paint a horror. No, you don't want to be doing so. You don't want to paint a horror picture. You don't want them to be terrified. You want them to be able to focus on, you know, the the stage that they're in and and experience, you know, joy and connection and and prepare. And I think even on the podcast, like, you know, we're always trying to find that balance between sharing these stories, but also being like, and it's going to be fine. Like, you know, you'll have the instincts you need to figure it out. And like, and we believe those things is we're not, we're not, you know, we're not being disingenuous, but at the same time, you're right. Like new, like, you know, first time moms often really just are, you know, I saw someone posting on Instagram, uh, just this week about, she has a, a, three month old now. And, you know, she is going back to work and was talking about how she truly, she and her husband both thought that her mat leave would be like getting pedicures with friends and like, you know, play dates in the park. And I'm just, I was just reading this and thinking <laughs> yes. like, how, like, how does this happen? And I, I know how it happens. It happens because people like, you know, yeah. Like, oh, time off. And the baby, they th- we all think of babies at like a one-year-old stage. Like, no, I feel like we're yeah. not around newborns really, unless sure. they're our own. And that sure. is obviously a huge culture shift too. So I think when we we're in our head, we're thinking we're going to, we're, our, our baby is going to be, you know, taking scheduled naps at right. day two and sleeping. And, and we'll be like night. playful and social when happy. they're awake. <laughs> right. 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 <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. How do you use, you know, in your personal journey as a mother, you know, dealing with anxiety, generalized anxiety that, you know, you, you've had for years, you knew you had before you became a mother. That's different than my story where I didn't know that I was anxious until I had my first child. So I'm curious going into your pregnancy and postpartum period, even with your first what kind of preparation did you do for, you know, managing how your relationship with anxiety might change once you had a baby? Did you have tools or resources that you utilized or did you just totally wing it? I totally winged it. I, um, I had been, I've, I had been medicated and I had worked really hard on figuring out what medication was working for me. And I knew that part of it. And I also am a fairly Mm -hmm. active person. I knew that was important to me. Mm -hmm. And so I maintained those two things, but then I had, I had a baby and the medication part continued, but the active part didn't. 
And I also was very isolated and felt very alone. And so it actually, it got a lot worse. I don't think I did enough work Mm -hmm. ahead of time. I don't think I paid it enough attention because I had been managing it so well. I didn't, it had been, you know, 10 years since I originally had had, you know, those feelings of anxiety. Like I, I was, I was, you know, that like really deep, the deep, deep feelings of anxiety. It's, it had been 10 years. And so I think I kind of forgot how bad it was and how long, like how, what a journey it had gotten I had taken Mm -hmm. to get me just to where I was. And so I didn't really pay much attention to it. And it wasn't until my second, after going through my first experience and, um, that I knew Hmm. getting out of the house was really important to me and, um, meeting and meeting people. So I had like a small tight knit group of friends that were actually ended up having babies all around the same time. And it was a tight, I mean, I think there were two or three of, there were three of us total. So I had two friends and I would just alternate days basically. Like we would just alternate like, okay, I'm going here at this Mm. time. And we would just go for a walk together. And that was enough to just keep me connected with somebody other than myself. And that really, that Mm -hmm. really helped me a lot with my second and still really helps me. And that's something that sometimes I forget because it is so much easier to stay home, even with two active boys and a four-year-old girl. Sometimes it's easier to just stay home. But for my mental state, it's much better for me if we do something that day and I meet up with another Yeah, I mean, that just kind of comes back to the theme of what we're talking about, like how essential community is. And, you know, we've had a lot of conversations with guests about this and something Mm -hmm. we believe so deeply is that Mm -hmm. like biologically, we're not designed to do motherhood alone. It is not natural. It is not just like, oh, it would be better if you had some friends. It's like, actually, if you don't, you might not make it, (laughs) you know, like you were, this is not okay. Like neurologically, (laughs) this is not going to work, you know? Right. And I think that that gets lost. Like we are such a independent culture. Like it is, we're so Mm self-sufficient that I think the community part of it just in general, I mean, it's fallen by the wayside. Have you read the book? Um, I haven't read all of it because it's very dense, but Bowling Alone. No, Mm -mm, I haven't even heard of it. It's a research, a researcher wrote it. So it's very dense, but the, the point of it is that in the 50s, the 40s and 50s, there were all these social groups. There were, you know, the Kiwanis and Rotarian groups. So like you have your business groups, you had your bowling leagues, you had your church groups. We had all these like community mm-hmm. groups mm. and how now there are none. Yeah. And how they've declined so much and that that's influencing our our culture as a whole. We've become very individualized culture and that is not the way humans are supposed to be. Yeah. It's totally like, that is a, that's great. Um, just a great reminder that it really is just the last few decades, you know, it's the last like two generations of mothering that this has shifted. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's hard because most mothers at this point are working. I mean, 70% of moms are working in some capacity and, you know, you th- I think about moms that aren't, you know, upper middle class and in not able to, that have to work. It's not a choice. They have to work. And so then you have to think about where are they getting their support? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're trying to just work and make ends meet. Yeah. 
So I don't know the answer to it. It's just, it, it just, it's all broken and <laughs> it's our job to fix it, ladies. <laughs> it is. No, and I think it's always good to look at that. Like if you take that step back and look, you know, whatever, a hundred feet above where you look at the timeline of how things have changed so quickly. And mm-hmm. now, now remembering that in the sense of, you know, we always have this, I feel like inevitably with postpartum comes the conversation of, you know, equality and time from work and what does the fourth trimester look like to be to be support not to be supported by your job but also like by your greater community or mm. even the government and right. <laughs> so oh, even yeah. the so it is i think you <laughs> you know it's it's a hard interesting space where we kind of go we've moved into we've we have we've changed roles we have um and moved things in great, some great directions and some directions that we just need new answers for. There's new problems to solve. Yeah. There's just new problems. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to take a moment just to hear a little bit more about this week's sponsor. Today's episode is sponsored by Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix has been our favorite personal stylist for a long time, and now you can get your fix during pregnancy or postpartum as well. Here's how it works. You start by creating a simple style profile with your size, your preferences, your price range, and then you request a fix whenever and however often you want. There's no subscription required. You could use it once during your entire pregnancy or every single month. And the best part, your stylist chooses a wardrobe selection that shows up on your doorstep and you keep only what you love. That means no going to Target, no leaving the house um, in your PJs. And shipping is free both ways. And it's really easy to return anything that you don't want or need. If you're listening and you're not pregnant, Stitch Fix is also available for regular non-maternity styles too. In my experience, their stylists are really good at picking items that work for your budget, style, and body type. Head over to motherbirth.co slash stitchfix to learn more, sign up, and even support the podcast at no extra cost to you. And now let's get back to our conversation with Kate. Yeah, I think the Laura, that's such a brilliant way of putting it just there are now new problems. And I think that one of the generalized assumptions that's really wrong and really makes the situation worse is that we look at the progress we've made as, as women and as a society. And we want to say like, okay, now like this is good. Like we have, you know, we have women have more access, more resources, more, more opportunities, all of these things. And like, that's great. And that's okay. And that's the finish line. And it, just isn't the finish line. You know, now we have, now we have to actually account for and, and factor in all of these different things. when we think about what healthy families look like and what it looks like to actually support those families in being healthy. And if we, if we think that we've made it because like, look at the doors that are open, then we're just, we're, you know, we're, we're quitting the race too soon. Right. I mean, I think that we we need obviously more support for you, for both moms and dads and partners. I think that partners are left behind. I think a lot of talk about I think there's a lot more talk and a lot more support for moms. I'm not saying there's enough. 
Um, but there is more, but there's very little for partners. Mm-hmm. Totally true. Too. And that's, that's something that, um, I notice with my partner and I notice with the partners of moms that I'm, I'm working with it. And I, I don't, I don't know the answer there either. I don't know how to support, to create community for them and to, to change the mindset. I, it's a mindset thing to, to change from looking at, you know, an individual to the greater good and how to do that. And it's especially hard partners. I feel like, um, I'm going to generalize here, (laughs) (laughs) but I feel like, um, women are more open and, um, there's something to be said for sisterhood. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that men have that, um, our male counterparts have that similar brotherhood. Yeah. It's not as, it's not as built in on an emotional level. And even, even though as a cult, like on a whole or as a whole, as a culture, we've, we've moved away from that really like vulnerable, connected communal way of living, even Mm -hmm. as women still, we are, we have a little bit more of an emotional, um, you know, propensity. There's this, there's this well-worn path, you know, we can, we can find our way to that. Um, right. You know, it seems like more easily again, generalization, but. And even maybe because, and I think it's fair to say that culture also perpetuates that or teaches For that. Sure, yeah. It's that yeah. Oh, this is your space. Yeah, totally. Yeah. This gender, yeah. this gender is, yeah. this is your space you're assigned, which is emotional intelligence. Um, yeah. your gender is assigned other spaces. They don't include that. And, you know, even in our conversation today, it's like, we have admitted that we also just started telling each other the truth. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole yeah. other level. I think about that when you talk about partner truth, which is, is your partner telling you the truth about their emotional status on parenting, which is really hard to articulate in the moment and even more difficult if the supposition is that it's harder for someone else. Cause I think that's a, that's mm-hmm. a thing when, you know, they do any kind of research with partners is that it's kind of like, what's well, so much harder for my partner, whether they're the one breastfeeding or doing the primary amount of cares for the, the infant that, that, that their emotions actually get even more quieted because it's like, I look at what's going on over there and it just seems like my emotions mm-hmm. have no place in this conversation, even if I have them and I can identify them. Right. And then, then we have to say, where, where's the space for that? Right. Yeah. And I agree. Even, um, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I've, the words have come out of my mouth to my dearest partner that I just don't have this, like, I, I can't address that now. Like I I understand it, but I I can't. Totally. (laughs) And, um, so where, where are they supposed to go to? Cause they should, should be able to address it. I'm not saying that I don't want the, don't want to, I just can't, there's just, I, I'm like barely surviving. Yeah. Here. It's, it's a super tricky, <laughs> what I have going on. it's a super tricky part of the equation because, you know, we, we center and we should center women and their experience in, in you know, in the perinatal period. Um, but what happens when a partner's emotional needs conflict with the mother's emotional needs, you mm-hmm. know, like where, where, and how do we make space for that in a way that still centers the mother and her experience? Like they're, it, they seem kind of mutually exclusive and, and I don't know what the answer is either. You know, mm-hmm. I've certainly been in that very difficult place where my partner has emotional needs that he just kind of has to push to the wayside. And where on a lot of levels, I've probably asked him to do that because excuse me, I'm bleeding. Like my, my body is broken and mm-hmm. my, like, 
I'm trying to learn to like keep a human alive. You don't have to do that in the same way. So let's like worry about you later, (laughs) you know? Right, right, right. Yeah, it's really, really tricky. One thing I love, and I want to ask you a little bit about kind of in, in the role that you have and the support that you provide for women is something that I don't think a lot of people necessarily know about. You know, you mentioned how eight years ago, like you didn't know anyone that had a doula. Nowadays, I think that most of, you know, most people that we know, at least in metropolitan areas have, you know, heard of, or maybe even used a doula themselves and speaking specifically of a birth doula. But I think a lot of people still don't really know that there is postpartum support available. And, you know, when we, when we talk with women, we talk so much about setting up postpartum support systems and really relying on your community and whether that be, you know, immediate family or friends or whatever. But, you know, the truth is, is that sometimes those, you know, immediate social structures don't exist or are, or are limited or at a distance or whatever. And, you know, being able to access something like a postpartum doula is something that can, you know, especially in those critical, like high stress moments where people just are maybe actually going to fall apart or feel like they're going to fall apart. Like this can be Mm -hmm. the difference between getting through that week or that month. So tell us a little bit about like how that actually works and, and why someone who, whether it's their first time or not, like, should actually be thinking about that. Yeah. So, um, I think first to talk about what a postpartum doula does, um, a postpartum doula isn't going, is not a baby nurse. So I think that that, um, a lot of people think there's like a baby nurse, babysitter Mm -hmm. kind of idea, but, um, and then the, also it's the, the other thing they think about a lot with postpartum doula is the word postpartum often now is associated with postpartum depression. So you don't, the postpartum doula is simply a doula for after you have birth. Um, didn't nothing to do with your mental state. Mm. What a postpartum doula is there to do is to increase your parental confidence and work herself out of a job. Mm. So we're just going to, we come in and we help with a lot of it is breastfeeding and sleep habits and kind of what to expect of your newborn sleeping or what your two week old should be doing at this time. Um, a lot of it is the um, listening part, uh, the transition to motherhood and the identity shift that comes along with it can be, um, can kind of hit us like a ton of bricks and kind of working through that and knowing that that's normal. And, um, you know, 80% of women, up to 80% of women, experience postpartum, the baby blues. Mm -hmm. So that's a totally normal blue period, but, um, and then it's up to 20% can experience some sort of diagnosable mental health, um, issue once they have the baby and postpartum doulas are just there to lift Mm -hmm. you up. We're not there to, you know, babysit that we're there to help you with, if you have older siblings, we're going to help kind of occupy them so you can feed the baby or take a rest. We can watch the baby so you can take a shower. We can throw a load of laundry in before we leave. And we're there to Mm -hmm. mother the mother. And I think that we forget how much we, how vulnerable we are postpartum. We just opened up our whole, you know, you, you opened up your heart, your body, now to this little human being. And I think you just need to remember that you just need to be like hugged emotionally, spiritually, physically. You just need to someone, to people to just lift Mm -hmm. you up and tell you that you're doing a really good job, even if you think Mm -hmm. you're not. Mm 
And I can't tell, you know, just the negative thought patterns that go through our head because we don't know what we're doing as new moms. You're not supposed to, but you really don't. And to have a professional be say, hey, that's normal that she's fussy. You know, it's been two hours. She's probably yeah. hungry. Let's just try nurse her before we, you know, you start getting winged out. And, oh, if you bounce this way, this might help. Oh, she doesn't like that. Maybe she would like, you know, we know a lot of different ways mm -hmm. of doing things. And having a different perspective can be can can be really helpful when we're navigating something we've never navigated before or have, like with mine, but yeah, it's still absolutely. new. Yeah. I was just thinking there's so much power in that um, affirmation of experience too, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, something a doula brings, whether it's birth or postpartum, is someone who has seen, supported, and been with women in that space. And so when they are in your space and you are like, this is how it's going. And then the baby's doing this weird thing. And like, sometimes my nipples feel like this and sometimes this, and they're like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're like, oh, okay. So I'm not crazy. Yeah. And you're like, right. no, you're not crazy. Right. And yeah. here's like some practical things. And that can be life-changing. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Here's just a couple things that you could try and see if it works. And if not, right. we'll try something new. I think what Laura just said is so true. Like sometimes it's just sort of that really gentle normalization of things that's so beneficial because it's like when you're in birth and you're in transition or, you know, whatever, and you're like, this is not working or something must be wrong or, you know, you, the panic starts to mount. And one of the most powerful things in that moment is just seeing that like your midwife is calm. Like she, she would, if, if something yeah. were actually wrong, she would yeah. be like rushing around right now, you know? Um, and, and right. it's just having right. that, that really like gentle validation that like, yeah, you, you know, this is, I know, I know you've been like nursing for an hour and a half, but like your baby's a week old. It's, you know, it's, this is totally normal. I also yeah. love how a postpartum doula can really sort of be a first line of defense for when something does need further addressing, you know, you can sort of be that person that's like, right. okay, actually this breastfeeding situation isn't quite normal and you're going to need more support than I can provide, or then you can maybe figure out on your own right now. Like we need to bring in the big guns or, you know, this is not just a baby blues situation. I think that, you know, you are struggling with postpartum psychosis and, you know, need some, need some professional support on, you know, the mental health front. And I think that stuff that can, can be overlooked because we're so overwhelmed and we're, you know, just in the moment can actually get recognized and addressed with that support. Yeah. And I think that, um, it's hard for partners to communicate with the mom who's, either if there is like a breastfeeding issue, you know, the mom's going to feel pretty horrible about the fact that breastfeeding is not mm -hmm. going well. Um, to have a partner be the one to suggest or um, gently direct doesn't always go mm -hmm. that well. Um, it's hard. It's hard. You get defensive. It's your, you know, your partner may not even know what to, ex what, is normal versus not normal. There's that first, but then also just having someone close to you. I feel like not who's not a trained professional can, can kind of get your walls up and, and, and that, um, 
that can be detrimental. I mean, especially with the mental health part, I'm, it's very hard for partners to recognize warning signs and postpartum doulas go through extensive training. And I've actually done extra training in the postpartum mental health arena, just because I have suffered so much from it. And, but I, it's hard even as an individual to recognize something you need more help with versus just the way it's going to be forever. Mm. So if there's one thing you could tell to a new or expectant mom, what would it be as she is preparing for this transition? I, one thing I would give ourselves grace. I don't think we give ourselves enough grace. That would be one thing that I would say we need to, we need to listen to ourselves and that's really hard to do. And it's something that when you're in survival mode, you have a hard time doing, but I think setting time aside each day, and it only has to be a minute or two, doesn't need to be a lot, but setting a time each day to just kind of check in with how you're feeling and what you feel you could do better or where you feel Mm -hmm. you're lacking can be helpful, but to give yourself grace about it, not to beat yourself up about it, but just be like, Hey, this happened and this happened. And maybe this, I should talk to somebody best, but this like, we'll just keep an eye on kind of thing, but to give yourself grace and to just know that you are exactly who your baby needs. Mm -hmm. Your baby chose you. You are it. Even if you feel like you're really having a bad spell and you feel like you're failing, you're, there's a reason why this Mm -hmm. baby is in your life and you just have to respect and honor that. I love that. Do you have any tips for finding postpartum support? You know, knowing that some people live in communities where there aren't, you know, it's not going to be like a Google search that pops up with, you know, 50 options. What are some, what are some ideas for finding support? Like the, the services you offer? I think it should first talk to your professional, your, your birthing professional. Mm -hmm. They should know if they don't know, you can always go to, um, Leche League is another great kind of an international um, breastfeeding support group. They can probably help you because you can, even if you're pregnant, you're not postpartum yet and breastfeeding, reaching out to something like that. Um, And you can go on Dona's website, which is the dual, I forget exactly what the acronym is, but it's an international um, certification agency for doulas. And so is Kappa, which is what I am certified in. And there's a couple of others. But if you go on those, you can see professionals in your area. And then if you even find a birth doula in your area, call her and just kind of see if she mm-hmm. knows any postpartum doulas. Because quite a few birth doulas do do postpartum. It's kind of a, they do both. Yeah. So that's where I would go. I would just kind of call around mm-hmm. to professionals in the area. And then you will will find a put either a postpartum doula or they'll be able to tell you a group or something mm-hmm. that you can go to for support. That's great. Well, yeah, we will share links to all of those resources in the show notes on our blog so that people can find those. Um, you know, we definitely, we are so grateful that you've shared your, your journey with us today. And then the passion that's come from that, because it's a passion we really share for women you know, being in that space and knowing that they don't, they shouldn't be alone. They don't have to be alone. Um, and that they're not alone, you know, no matter what experience they're having there, there is 
there are people that get it. <laughs> there is support, you know, there are people that, yeah. that want to be there and want to show up for them. So thank you, Kate, for sharing your journey with us today. Thank you so thank much you. for having me. And you can uh, follow us on Instagram if you don't already. Motherbirth.co is our Instagram handle. We've got lots of great connection and conversation happening over there, as well as lots of inspirational um, and, in, and educational posts that we share. So, um, and we'll, we'll make sure that you guys can connect with Kate as well. Um, so check out the show notes on our blog at motherbirth.co. And if you haven't heard, Lisa's also, um, putting out a course, uh, called trust your body again, uh, dealing with her personal story, um, feeling her passion, which is helping women who have loss, uh, go through the grieving process. You can find that on our website too. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to mother birth. And a special thanks to our editors, sponsors, and guests for this week's show. As always, this show is created by Lauren Melissa and is intended as general information that does not constitute or substitute medical advice of any kind. You should always consult with your primary care provider with respect to your medical care if you are pregnant, planning on becoming pregnant, or in the postpartum period. In this episode, we may use affiliate links to products and services that we know and trust. These are products we have personal experience with and believe that they will benefit our community. When you use these links, Mother Birth receives a small commission. What you pay for the product or service doesn't change at all. It's the same price. If we share something that includes a discount code, we may still receive an affiliate commission without affecting the discount offered to you. Thank you for supporting our show.